Whitney. I'm Danielle. And we are the founders of Sakara Life, on a mission to nourish your body and transform your life. Sakara is a Sanskrit word that describes the action of turning your thoughts into things and manifesting your reality. We believe that who we surround ourselves with, what we watch, what we listen to, what we eat, the information that we take in, impacts the way we think and therefore who we are. The conversations that follow are with bold thinkers who have had an impact on how we view the world, ourselves, and what it means to live the Saqqara life. The intention of these conversations is to push each of us to greater heights so that we can turn our thoughts into things and all shine our light a little brighter. We are so excited to be on this journey with you. Welcome to the Saqqara life. Also, please note we are recording from our homes via Zoom, so please forgive us for any sound issues. At Sakara, we talk a lot about shining your light brighter and that one of those things that can help you to shine your light a little bit brighter is leaning into the uncomfortable. While sharing this podcast with you all today does feel a little bit uncomfortable for me, we dive into the intimate and talk a lot about sex. This is definitely a juicy podcast, to say the least. And as part of our Turned On campaign, we are partnering with Foria. So today, I'm thrilled to be sitting down with their chief brand officer, Kiana Reeves, to talk about libido. She is a certified somatic sex educator, sexological body worker, full-spectrum doula, and pelvic health practitioner. Her work weaves together embodiment, intimacy, sex, birth, and holistic health. She also focuses on topics of wellness, sex, and the universal experiences that women and people with vulvas go through during their lifetime. We wanted to bring all of you this much-needed conversation around sexual wellness and education, as it's often a topic that's not candidly discussed. It's so important to have open conversations around our sexuality and sexual experiences, as it impacts the way that we exist and show up in the world. Today, we're discussing how we can reclaim our sexual power, make sex more pleasurable, and ignite our inner flame. And I hope that this episode brings you all lots of pleasure. Well, Kiana, we are so happy to have you on the Sakara Life podcast today. Danielle has had the opportunity to speak with you a number of times. You've been a speaker at our Sakara sessions when we're having those in person, and she has just loved those conversations. So now I'm excited that I get to have some of these juicy conversations with you. I'm so excited. I feel like the possibilities are endless when it comes to these subjects. Absolutely. Well, on the Sakara Life podcast, we like to start by asking you, what do you feel like your mission here on earth is? Oh, it's a great question. Um, I've refined this statement over the years, not even statement, but the feeling of it. And for me, my mission feels like helping people to remember remember their essence, remember their wild, remember like these really core true pieces of them that sometimes can get not forgotten, but painted over as we you know become part of society, especially as adults and all of the things we take in uh, as we grow. So for me, it's just breaking down to the really core essence of what it means to be a human across the board. That's so beautiful. And I love the way that you describe that as well. So can you tell us a little bit about what you do for your work in your day-to-day life? Yeah. So there's a few fun things that I do. I wear a couple hats. I, of course, I'm a mom. I have two young boys, a nine-year-old and a six-year-old, and that's my primary job, I would say, and role in my life. I'm also the chief brand officer at Foria, where I help kind of create the conversation and figure out where we're going, who we're talking to. That really came about through, and this is more my passion and my experience, but I'm also a doula and I work full spectrum of families. So everything from conception to to birth, to postpartum, 
people who have had pregnancy loss or are going through abortion. And then I'm also a hands-on sex educator. It's called a somatic sex educator. But I had for a long time a private practice where I was doing intravaginal pelvic work and working with people on a full spectrum of experiences. So some people body mapping and um, helping them understand what their body's capable of when it came to pleasure more and just helping them learn. And then for some people, it was unwinding of uh, emotional experiences or trauma. I like to call it like undigested or unintegrated experiences that are kind of blocking uh, people's ability to experience pleasure and connection. Wow, that's so interesting. And I think that this type of hands-on sex education, this hands-on body work that you do, a lot of people are uncomfortable with that, especially if you have any type of trauma around sex. Well, I recently gave birth and I went to a physical therapist and she did some hands-on physical therapy work with me. And that was my first kind of experience with this. And it's different than going to your OB and having a PAP or any of these types of things done which are very kind of like clinical and it's something being done to you. Whereas this is, it's a little bit more of starting to learn your own body. I feel like, how do you start to like work with people in that way? I I find this really interesting. Yeah. I think the key point, the key differentiating point that you just touched on was that when you go to an OB or when you go to a medical professional, often things are done to you. Right. And that's the the world we live in with our genitals in particular and with sex. We either have a medical experience of our bodies or a partnered or soloed sexual experience. And there's not really been a lot of gray area in between where you can learn about your body and understand how it's functioning. And I have so much respect for the medical community and and what they provide. Where I think it's a little lacking is the opportunity to understand really that the body is not just physical. It, the body is the repository. It's, it is our subconscious. It's where we hold memory. It's where we hold experience. It's how we experience the world. And so, of course, emotions are stored there. And so in this work for me, it's approaching the body through a really strong understanding of the nervous system. Because the nervous system is the thing that's telling us whether we're safe, whether we're stressed, whether this is a dangerous situation. And sometimes these cues can be so subtle. And sometimes these cues that we're perceiving in the moment, say, you know, you had a negative gynecological experience early on. Anytime you're in that position again, it's possible that in that moment, even though you're safe, there's some subconscious part of your body going into clenching or tension or apprehension. And so a lot of this work is really super subtle nervous system work while being in the territory of the genitals, while being in the territory of pleasure to repattern those experiences so that the body feels safe, so that you can open, so that you understand what it feels like in your range of arousal. and. Um, it's hard to put into like a nutshell of where to start, but that's really, it's starting with the nervous system and understanding that relationship. Yeah, that's so interesting. I feel like so many of us feel that this is the type of work that we have to do with our partner and that only our partner can touch us in these places or that we can only have experiences with somebody that we're in a relationship with or are married to or on and on. But that can also put a lot of pressure on the relationship. And especially if they're not, if they don't know how to work with you, if you've had trauma or if you're holding these emotions and they might feel like it's their fault if you're clenching or feeling uncomfortable in sex. And so I think it is interesting to think of it's sex therapy in a way, right? Except instead of just talking about sex to release some of these thoughts and emotions, it's actual, you're going at it from a physical direction. Yeah, because we have the conscious memory, we have the conscious emotion, and then we have the subconscious, which is sometimes only felt 
and activated through the body, which is why some people, when you're in the situation or in the experience of maybe having resistance to your partner or feeling tension or like things feel off, but you don't know how to describe what's coming up. That's because you're activating the emotion that's in the tissue, not from a mind down perspective, but from a real, from the body and into uh, the experience. So what I think is so unique is you can work with partners and you can work with people solo with this work. And it's really teaching the nuance of how to listen to the body's story, as opposed to the story that's in your head, that's probably done a lot of overriding what the body's actually feeling. And so how much does this play a role in libido, like yeah. your sexual desire and that energy? So libido is this, it's kind of like a catch-all term for wanting sex or feeling like you want sexual connection. And as you know, very closely, there's so many different things that impact your sex drive. There's the biochemical element. So it's totally hormonally driven. Like if you're feeling like an ongoing chronic low libido, I think getting things like testosterone, thyroid, sex hormones tested, like that's huge. And that pathway all comes through digestion, how well your digestion's working, what are you eating, what healthy fats are going into your system, things like that. And then you have the emotional component of libido, which is very closely related to the hormones because stress is one of these things that when it's chronic, it actually will suppress the production of sex hormones through a couple different pathways. But essentially when you're living at a chronic state of stress, and sometimes we don't even know or can't even perceive that we're chronically upregulated like that, that heightened cortisol ongoing will kind of biologically tell your body that you're not safe or you're not in a stable enough environment that sex would be a priority because from a biological perspective sex isn't just about pleasure it's about reproduction so if your body's not feeling resourced and it's feeling a little bit threatened it's really what your body will prioritize is sleep eat shelter safety and then sex is kind of second tier so emotions have this huge part to play in it especially in partnered relationships but for anyone who has sexual trauma, for anyone who has ongoing stress in their lives, that can really impact your, your kind of like your window of availability for intimacy and can really color it. And it's something that you absolutely have to work with if you want to kind of nurture and feed your libidos, really look at the, the emotional things that are happening that it might also be causing stress. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes we use this word trauma and people will just think, oh, you know, well, that's not me. I haven't been raped. I haven't been sexually abused, on and on and on. But I think that there are also societal traumas around sex, things that we might not even be aware of, that we're, we're carrying um, certain levels of shame or feeling uncomfortable in our body for a number of reasons. Maybe it, it's around sex and seeing it as something sinful or dirty or whatever it is and not feeling confident to stand in our power as a woman or as you know whatever sex or gender you are or it could be that you don't feel good in your body because you feel like you need to lose weight or change the way that you look as well because you know that's something that I'm trying to figure out like who tells us that we need to be looking a certain way? And I feel like the mind and our egos are constantly playing this like game, this trick on us, telling us we're not good enough. And I'm trying to figure out where that comes from and trying to shift it. But I feel like these are, in a way, sexual traumas that we carry inside of us. And how, how can we start to work on on some of those? Yeah, so shame is, to me, one of the most interesting parts of unlearning that we have to do. But I also want to back up too, because I think the definition or understanding how trauma works is really important. And trauma is not an event itself. Trauma is not like 
the car accident, or, you know, if you've had any experience, it's actually how the nervous system metabolizes it. So everybody's nervous system will interpret events differently. And so there's not, it's subtle, but it's such an important difference because things we don't think of as traumatic can actually be experienced in the body as a type of trauma. And then trauma is, you know, as we learn more and more about it, it's kind of a catch-all term in the same way that libido is for such a myriad of different ranges of experiences. And what it's really saying is that the nervous system is caught in a loop. There's a, there's a skip in the record. There's something that when you hit it, it takes you out of the present moment and brings you into a nervous system response that treats that situation like a threat. And whether you go into a freeze or you go into upregulation, which would look like a fight or a flight response, that all can be just low level triggering of the nervous system. So I think that's important. And then secondarily, you're absolutely right about the shame component. And we have personal shame about just life experiences that we've had that have impacted us. We have familial shame that's been passed down through our lineages and even like biologically what's come down through our, you know, maternal or paternal kind of understanding of things. And then we have the the societal shame around sex and our bodies too, that we all metabolize in different ways. Shame is this really interesting thing because it's sneaky. Like it's, it's everywhere, but it's so sneaky. So you can't always identify it as, oh, I'm feeling ashamed. It can come up as, oh, ew, that's like disgusting. Or it can come up as, you know, so it could be disgust. It could be avoidance. It could be fear. It could be anger. It's a trigger that kind of wears a mask. And so when you're working with shame, you're, you're sometimes working with a little bit of, I don't like to categorize anything as like a negative emotion, but you'll have feelings that are uncomfortable or provide some level of discomfort. And that's where you want to start. You want to be able to notice and track what is coming up, whether it's a thought or an emotion or an image or a memory, something that arises that makes you feel like, oh, I don't like this feeling. And then the easiest way to shift it, and this is long, long, lifelong work. This is not just something you can eradicate all at once, but it's to become kind of unconditionally friendly with these emotions and be able to hold the capacity in yourself to both witness the feeling and be with it to keep it company and to also let it be there for as long as it needs to be without feeding it and without pulling away from it. So if you could imagine two parts of yourself, say, I'm trying to think of a client experience I could share. Um, Say you had really like gross feelings about masturbation. Like you were brought up to think that touching your genitals from an early age was disgusting. You have to wash your hands, you know, don't touch that. That's naughty. That's dirty. That's the kind of stuff that even if we don't remember it verbatim, it sinks into how we feel when we do touch ourselves. And so then in your adult years, you're trying to learn your body or understand, you know, how masturbation might enhance your ability to communicate with your partner about pleasure. And you just have all of this stuff come up, you know, whether it's like, oh, that's gross, or I don't know what I'm doing, or it's just a yucky feeling. That is the feeling to be with. So imagine putting a little kind of container around it and giving it a name. Like this is a totally valid feeling. And then allowing there to be a bigger part of you that's kind of holding it, you know, wrapping your arms around it and going like, and it's okay to feel this, but it's not going to swallow me. So in session work with my clients, like that's how I like to break it down is, and the longer you can be with the feeling and hold your attention to it, the longer you can just sit with that kind of nausea or that discomfort, it's likely that it will start to change and it will start to clear or morph into something else. So sometimes under the disgust is sadness and sometimes under the sadness is a longing that you didn't even know was there. And so that type of kind of peeling back the layers is, is how I approach shame. And it's again, lifelong work. Why do you feel like it's, it's so important? I mean, you're, this is your passion. This is your work. Why do you feel that it's so important for people to 
dedicate time and effort to do this work to unlock and address some of these feelings that you're talking about? Like, why is sex and this so important in our lives? Yeah. Oh, this is such a good question. And I think about it all the time. I think sex is a driving force in everybody's lives. Like I really do. I think it's the the urge of life wanting to connect with the deepest part of itself moving through us. And, you know, it's, it's longing for intimacy, it's connection. When we have a really incredible, pleasurable experience with a partner or even with ourselves, it takes us to a part of ourselves that is not the mundane day-to-day thing. I think it touches on something I can only describe as what's holy, right? It's like this divine connection with self and with other and with the deep capacity in the body to feel. And it's primal and it is uh, it gives life. Like if you look at Taoist perspectives on sexual energies, that it's connected to the Jing. And I'm in no way an expert on this, but my understanding is that sexual energy is from this perspective is one of the only ways to cultivate the Jing because it's so powerful. It's, it's literally the energy of creation. And so in short, I mean, it brings us to our core. It shows us all everything that's there, all of the emotions, because it's not just pleasure, right? It's, it's longing for connection. It's the beauty of ourselves. It's the beauty of seeing ourselves in another person. And it's such an opportunity for healing because it also it opens the nervous system in a way that you can integrate the present mind with the subconscious experience and the whole lifetime of stuff around sex. So it's like this great healing opportunity as well. I just had like a mind blowing moment here. I don't know. Like I was saying, where I'm trying to figure out this whole thing around how does one build body confidence? How do we feel good in our bodies? Why do we want to change the way that we look and this type of thing? And it's often to feel loved, to feel accepted by society, to feel like attract your ideal mate, right? To feel love and and connection and so what I'm hearing from you is that sex is, is that as well. It's a way to feel love and connection. Yeah. And if that is one of the driving forces of humans, it's that ultimate need and craving that we have, then working on sex and releasing some of our fears or traumas that stand in our way from feeling that connection will allow us to tap into that ultimate feeling of love and connection. Absolutely. Yeah. The ultimate feeling of love and connection, I think is at the heart of why we're so drawn to sex. It's, it's not the only reason people have sex. Some people have sex, obviously for connection, some for pleasure, some for any number of reasons. But I I think at the heart of it is we all have that longing to be loved and accepted And sexual energy, when it is with someone you deeply trust, especially, can take that love and make it even, in terms of romantic and partnered experiences, and make it even deeper and bring it into the physical form. And I think this is just coming to me as we talk, but, you know, I love my kids. I hug them all the time. I love my mom. I hug. We have lots of hugging and and touching but we don't have sometimes deep, deep physical expressions of love we feel. So sex is also this incredible way that you can actually, for a person with a vulva, you actually like can, if you're up for penetration, you're bringing somebody inside of your body. That to me is like, that's such an invitation and such a deep experience. I agree. Yeah. And I even think about if you're, experience sex on your own it is and I've had conversations around this lately with our you know Sakara is dedicating the month of February to this whole concept and digging into what is libido what is that life energy and um, so I've been having these conversations and sex even if it is on your own can tap you into love and connection of the universe of 
all beings and that universal consciousness and connection that we all share. Yeah. So even if you're not with a, a partner and being able to connect in that way, you can still connect into the greater love of all. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think self pleasuring, self cultivation, masturbation, that as a practice for continuing to keep your body open and to keep it, to help yourself stay connected to the part of you that is that life force energy is so powerful. And what I love about masturbation is that you can really like go there. You're not thinking about, you know, how's my partner thinking about my face? What's my partner thinking about how I smell or like, which is sometimes the thoughts that really get in the way of us being able to be in the moment. You can really go there with your feelings. And for me, and this is an experience I've been having personally too, is like, how deep can you take your self-pleasuring practice? Can you allow for not just the, the feelings of, the, the fantasy and the desire and like all of the hot, sexy, pleasurable pieces, but also can you hold space for then what's underneath that? And often there is such an amazing portal to feel your heart deeper after you experience that type of pleasure after you climax, you just, you're open in a way and you're available to yourself more fully. And I've had some of the craziest cry sessions of my life after a self-pleasure practice because I feel so tapped into how I'm actually feeling instead of more staying in like the mental day-to-day topical, everything I have to do and be aware of all the time. And now for a quick break. I'm so excited to tell you a bit more about an exciting campaign we're launching this month. From February 8th to February 28th, when you purchase a Metabolism Super Powder subscription, you'll receive exclusive access to amazing content from Kama, a sexual wellness app, and a special gift from Foria. You'll also receive a ton of educational content around the female libido, new exclusive metabolism super powder recipes, and so much more. If you're interested in participating in this special offer, for a limited time, we are gifting you $15 off your first purchase of our best-selling metabolism super powder. Simply go to sakara.com forward slash MSP at checkout and use the code podcast 15. That's S-A-K-A-R-A dot com forward slash M-S-P, like metabolism super powder, and enter podcast 15 at checkout for $15 off your first purchase. Okay, so now we need your tips for this (laughs) monumental (laughs) self-pleasure practice. Yes. Okay. So I have a few different ones because it doesn't just have to be masturbation. I think foundational, like cultivating a pleasure practice is foundational to all understanding of your body and your emotions and your heart. And my approach to you know, sexual wellness would to have there be integration in the physical pleasure with also the emotional, the kind of heart body, and then the mental, the desires that come more from the mind and from the body. So that integration to me starts with just a foundational practice. And I've been working with John Wineland all year, who's fabulous, incredible, you're familiar, but he comes to Sedona quite often. It's where Danielle and I are from. Yeah. He's a phenomenal teacher. And I was doing this a little bit before the course, but this is something now I have as like a a nightly practice. I put my kids to sleep and I'm a single mom. So I'm like, I work all day. I spend the like three hours with my kids where we're jamming on dinner and hanging and getting super quality time. And when they go to sleep, I'm like, okay, I have to get the most out of these moments, you know? And so I have a half hour to an hour nightly practice where I put on my absolute favorite music of the day, whatever it is. Sometimes it's piano, sometimes it's reggaeton, sometimes it's whatever genre. 
and I just get in my underwear and I dance in the dark. I roll around on a carpet. I don't even, I wouldn't even call it dancing because sometimes it's just breathing and moving as feels right. But being able to tune in to what your pleasure feels like, that's the first step to me is not dancing in the way that dancing should look, not moving in the way that we think moving should look like, which often translates to how we are in the bedroom with someone, but being with the inspiration of the body, you know, and allowing it to come in the moment. So that that's like the first kind of piece to me that has radically changed my life. And then the second is then to bring that into a masturbation practice, which you can do as often or as little as you want. There's really no right or wrong. Don't have it as like a to-do list thing though, because then it just feels like more pressure. But I think to really stay with it, make it feel luxurious. So I obviously am the chief brand officer for you, but I do use our products for this. And I actually think they're really amazing to have like a lube that you love when you're self-pleasuring is, will change your life just because it feels so much better. And it's like an oiled massage that way. Exactly. Yeah. And then the other thing I like to work with clients on is, is taking masturbation from goal oriented. So a lot of us learned when we were younger, uh, if we were masturbating that to be quick and to be quiet and don't let anyone hear or see you and get there as fast as you can. And again, that type of experience translates to how you are with a partner. So if you want to slow down with your partner, if you want to elongate and deepen the experience, a really amazing place to do that is in your masturbation practice. So go without the goal of climax. You can orgasm if you want, but go without that being like the direct focus and explore texture. So definitely use lube, explore touch, like how you like to be touched with hands, explore with a vibrator, explore with an internal wand. If you want to kind of stimulate G-spot or your cervix or the AFE zone, there's all these beautiful orgasmic zones inside the vagina. I was going to ask, do you have any favorite tools or toys? Yeah. So I, the Foria stuff, I always use partner and solo just to like get things kind of going. And then toys wise, I love the wand. Like the magic wand is the old Hitachi. Like the Hitachi magic wand. Yes. And it's an external vibrator. So it's just for clitoral stimulation, but it, has multiple speeds. It has this like big round, soft kind of head to it. So it's diffuse. It's not just very specifically for the clitoris because you have all these erectile tissue beds under your labia too. So all it kind of hits the whole area. And you can get it that plugs into the wall. So you don't have to remember to charge it or change the batteries. Exactly. I love that. You know, that it's, um, it's amazing. (laughs) And then I like internal wands as well. So anything that's glass or crystal or steel are usually the best options. Thin and curved can be great for someone trying to access deeper orgasms, intravaginal orgasms. But, and then hands, like getting to know your hands and what you like is so, I think, valuable because they're a little slower and you can then teach your partner if you do have one or when you eventually do have one, what you like. Again, it's really about following the thread of curiosity. And sometimes touching yourself doesn't always feel like an illuminating moment. It's not always like, oh, this is the best feeling ever. Sometimes it's like, oh, that's an interesting feeling. You know, so getting okay with being clunky and curious too is a great practice. And um, I think those are my main, yeah, my main ones. Have you seen this? toy I saw it on I discovered it through goop where it's an air I don't even know how to explain it but kind of the like suction, a suction. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah it mimicked oral sex yeah so I think it's there's one called the, the womanizer. womanizer yeah mm-hmm. and then one of my favorite sex toy companies actually dame who I was going to mention female founded super rad brand and they have very kind of ergonomic sex toys and they just released one as well. So it it uses air suction technology. And if you like 
clitoral stimulation to be very kind of focused and localized, like right on the head of your clitoris. I think that's a really interesting, awesome tool to experiment with. Yeah. I was going to say, I kind of feel bad for men, people with penises (laughs) that don't get to experience all these fun tools and toys, but I don't know if they need them, you know? Yeah. It's a good time to have a vulva in the world with all these different things and the freedom to explore and even have this conversation right now. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I love all of these tips and tricks and tools. So I think, you know, how would I know if this is something I need to work on? Does everybody need to, to work on this area of our lives? Is it like nutrition, exercise, and sex? (laughs) Is that like what the doctor should be prescribing? It's such a good question. I mean, realistically, pleasure and orgasm in particular, studies show it like it boosts mood, it helps you sleep better, it's stress relieving, it makes, I mean, it has all these amazing kind of biochemical cascades that happen. So yeah, sex could be not sex, let's call it pleasure. Deep sexual Mm. pleasure can be a type of lifestyle choice that can really benefit your well-being. But I don't like to be prescriptive about it because some people just, they're not interested or it's not the time. And what I'd hate to do is to add, we have this list now, you know, that's like, you need to be sleeping good. You need to be eating right. You need to be exercising. Don't forget meditation. Yeah. Don't forget meditation. If you're not doing yoga, what are you doing? And breath work has to happen X amount of times and your blue light glasses need to be on every time you, you know, so it's what I don't want people to do is get the kind of, well, I'm not doing that. So more internalized shame around it. It's just, if you're, if you feel open or curious, or if you want, if you're already having great sex, but there's a part of you that knows it can be deeper. That to me is that what the invitation is. And I'm of the belief that it can always be deeper. And so like the, what keeps me going is just like the excitement that pleasure is an ever expanding experience. And so is intimacy. And so is connection and all of those things that can be deepened all of the time to me, just like sets my soul on fire. Cause I get so excited about that stuff, but not everyone does. And how would you define good sex? I think it's different for everybody. Do you want me to specifically focus on partnered sex? Sure. Let's just talk about that for now. Okay. So to me, truly good sex is being so attuned to each other that, and this is my idea of it because not everyone has the same one, but being so highly attuned to each other that you're literally moving almost as one entity and it's the deepest level of connection and the deepest level of vulnerability and opening that to me makes it feel powerful and not just physically satisfying which is of course one layer of it but deeply emotionally satisfying as well so i'm someone who has sex like for deep connection and uh, that's where i get the juice from because it. you can have deep pleasure on yeah. your own yeah in I think that not everyone feels this way, but for me, the deepest pleasure that I get is through physical pleasure while experiencing connection. Like I, I can't, I have a harder time experiencing really deeply satisfying pleasure in my body if I'm not feeling fully open or connected to somebody. It feels kind of like Mm -hmm. lukewarm pleasure. And so to me, it's, it's when the two connect the like intensity of phenomenal physical pleasure met with intense connection. So what would get you in the mood to get you there? I feel like foreplay is extremely important in in getting to that place of being so relaxed and in the zone and in the mood. That person, like, can you describe like what would get you there? Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here because if I was really wanting to go for it, you can have great sex anytime in any moment, you know, with your partner. But I think that if you wanted to step outside of the space of where we can kind of get habitual with sex, even if it's great, amazing sex, what I would do is set aside the time to come together. So being apart before you come together can be a 
part of the kind of the ritual or the ceremony around coming back together in an intentional way. So things like taking a bath, going out and doing something on your own, whether that's being in nature or taking a walk or doing like a solo dance practice. So to me, the opportunity to drop into the mindset and the body experience first of feeling my own desire so that I can then bring it to a partner instead of trying to do that in the moment actively. I don't know if that makes sense, but alone time has been Instead of just putting all of that pressure on your partner to get you there, like have your time apart, even if you live together and to do some of that work on your own so that you're already ready when you come together. Exactly. Because I think there's a difference here too, is like, there's a difference between sexual desire for your partner and needing your partner to fulfill sexual needs. Mm -hmm. And so when you come from the place of you're in your own desire of what you want, of what feels good, of what you're like longing for, you're also not asking your partner to fulfill the need for them to like, to activate that for you. You kind of are coming from a place of already being open to it and already kind of showing through your body that you're in that mindset. Yeah. I think that's really, really sexy for your partner. Yeah. Right. When you're already coming to it, basically like turned on and with that energy, then it's much easier for them to get to that same energetic level. Yeah. And I think I really learned that when I had kids because being a mom was so all encompassing, but I think it could be relatable to anyone who has like an intense work life where you switch you have to have time to switch into a different way of being and deep connection, deep intimacy, like all of the deep juicy stuff is a certain mindset. And it's actually not a mindset. It's actually coming through the body. So you're kind of like taking the time to get out of the head and get into the senses. And that will allow the experience to be whatever you want it to be, but directed through the body, which is what sex is sex is through it's a physical experience so yeah Yeah, I've found through my own practices that I think getting out of that headspace and I don't know it's even kind of like this some feelings of shame or insecurity of what your partner might think or if you have been with your partner for a long time what are they going to think if you do something different and you're com- totally different than you normally are and so i love like the idea of role play and saying today i'm going to actually try to be something different somebody different and so you can expect that coming in and it kind of feels like it gives you permission to be out completely outside of who you are and not be judged for it because you're this other person exactly why do you think we need that and so many people feel like you know they need to drink wine or get drunk or be stoned or whatever it is in order to have good sex like what are your thoughts on that this is such a good question because I was actually just about to bring this up. As humans, I feel like we long for the transcendent and we long for altered states of being that allow us to touch something that is deeper or more divine. And we've always used, like there's different kind of ways of getting there. I've thought about this so much and I've tried to kind of outline, like what are these things that we use to access different states of being? And some of the the biggest ones are like psychedelic plants, obviously. And I, I would put alcohol in there as well as wine because it it totally shifts your state of being. Birth is another one because it's a journey where you are totally, it's the only way through is through. And so it takes you into another reality. Sex is one of those. It's an altered state of being. And like psychedelics, as we learned with Michael Pollan's book, you know, is that set and setting is everything when it comes to the experience. And so you can apply a lot of the same things, I think, from a psychedelic experience or even using alcohol as a kind of to set the mood. You can apply that to how to enrich the sexual energy that you're bringing to a situation. And 
it sounds silly, but I was thinking last week, even about this, that these time honored things like lighting candles, wearing lingerie, you know, massaging that kind of have become cheesy because they're so obvious. What they're doing is actually exactly this. It's changing the lighting. It's changing your expression. So getting into lingerie immediately evokes a totally different part of you than if you're wearing period underwear and like a stained shirt, you know, (laughs) and that evoking of the experience when it's intentional and you're working with things that work with the senses again it's like lighting is this, is stimulating your visual sensory uh, experience in a different way lingerie both the felt feeling in your body of what you're wearing and then your partner visually responding to you in a different way textures as like silk sheets and chocolate you're invoking the power of the senses to bring so much intentionality to the experience. And I I think that is just at the heart of any like transcendent experience is bringing that level of attention to detail and it will only enhance the experience. Yeah, I like that. And I like thinking about some of these substances that when you talk about a substance, I feel like the connotation automatically goes to be negative and this kind of detachment, putting on a blanket over you so that you don't have to deal with shame or fear or anger, these types of emotions. But then there is that other side where if you've kind of worked through some of those emotions, then you can use certain substances to enhance these other emotions and feelings and get you even more into it, like a deeper level in that experience. Yeah. I I think the key there is, are you using it as a crutch and to bypass emotion, which Mm -hmm. then it's not supportive or functional. And I think that's what you were talking about. That's what most people are doing with wine or with cannabis or any substances. I don't, I won't say everyone, but I think a lot of people, if they feel like they have a hard time getting out of their head or relaxing, they need a state shift. And that's the, that's their access point. That's no, how they know how. And so I think in that sense, it's best not to lean on a substance to help you shift your state. It's best to use practices like breath breathing, just five minutes, 10 minutes of doing some breath work. Even if you don't even know what breath work is, just deep breathing, it can state shift you. And then you can explore so much more range in what comes up for you instead of kind of what I, what I don't like about alcohol is that it can sometimes numb you out in a way. Mm. And so while it's great, maybe a glass of wine is great, but if it's something you rely on, I think that's an invitation to go a little bit deeper. Yeah. And really that's anytime, right? If looking at what do you use for your relaxation techniques and maybe it works for you and you don't need to change it, but even just seeing the other options that are out there, like you're talking about breathing techniques, it could be even better or you bring you to a whole new level, who knows? So I really like that idea, but that brings me to our light work. So on the Sakara Life podcast, we love to have our guests share a light work practice with our listeners. And that can be anything from a practice, an exercise, or a challenge to help our Sakara lights shine their light a little brighter. So would love for you to give our listeners a light work. I love that. I think I'm just going to bring the invitation to that practice I was sharing earlier, because it really has changed my life. It is something that I, like I've done so much study and there's so much I've learned and it's the one thing that is easy and that I keep coming back to and it doesn't have too much structure. And so if you can carve out a few times a week, a half an hour to get on your floor and put on music and you move in the way your body wants to move. And I would add a few more layers, which would be Breath and sound and movement are the three ways that our body processes emotion through it. And so if you can bring movement and you bring intentional breathing through that experience and you bring sound, it's going to likely really surprise you at 
where you're able to go and where you're able to take yourself. And especially in this time where we're dealing with so many crazy world events and the stress of the pandemic on ourselves and on our lives, I think it's a really unique invitation to just be with yourself in a way that it's like an inquiry. It's kind of like, what's here? And I am continually surprised by what I find. All right. I can't wait to hear from all of our listeners on how this practice feels for them and how it changes their lives. I love this. And I'm now envisioning myself dancing around and singing to whatever song feels good because you were talking about noise as well. So sound. Yeah. So I love it. I'm going to do it. Well, thank you, Kiana. I've loved our conversation. I hope our listeners have too. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. I love Kiana's light work practice. This is something I'm definitely going to do. I think we talk a lot about morning routines and morning rituals. And when it comes to nighttime routines or rituals, it often just includes drinking a cup of tea and a skincare routine. But I think that this practice can deliver great relaxation results and also help with glowing skin. So very excited to try it. I hope that you all try it with me and let me know how it goes. We always love to hear from you. If you have a Sakara story that you would like to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at sakarastories at sakaralife.com. That's S-A-K-A-R-A-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at sakaralife.com or send us a DM at sakaralife. Don't forget to hit subscribe for the Sakara Life podcast and share this episode with anyone you think needs to hear what we talked about today. And don't forget about the light work. It might feel a little hard, a little uncomfortable, but it's supposed to. The whole idea is that we lean into what's uncomfortable so we all get to shine our lights a little brighter. And we'll see you on the other side, Sakara Lights. Sakara Lights.